It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Lutie. Well, guys, uh, I gave a message yesterday called The Endless Frontier, which is a very significant foundational idea in my life and Leslie's life and our ministry. And anyone that has participated in our ministry, it becomes a a really significant theme. And uh, so almost, I could say, accidentally, I've begun this idea that's uh, cycling inside of me that's, uh, I think I'd like to do periodically uh, a sub-series on life lessons, just some of the key truths, just like the endless frontier that I shared yesterday. And if I were to bake down a, a list of some key life truths, uh, which I guess I'm calling it life lessons, uh, then there's, there's just a, it's an interesting collection. They sort of seem random at first, but they all weave together in uh, how does a life focus on Christ? How does a life effectively move forward with Christ? And what are the things that detract? You know, the longer you walk as a Christian, if you're serious about it, you begin to recognize tactics of the enemy. And you begin to also recognize, if someone were to say, how did you make it through that? You begin to recognize tools that enable you to move through things. And so those become your life lessons. You know, what to avoid and what to do. And uh, that's why gray hair is very significant because usually someone has exercised the truth for so long that they have nuggets that they begin to get. It's like, you know what, this is formed over decades sometimes you could say, and it's like, yeah, and I've come to this conclusion. Sometimes they're not good conclusions, right? Uh, It depends on if they've been steered by the word of God and by the spirit of God. But so I would love to think that some of the life lessons that I would share would be things that would be invigorating for your spiritual life. They have been for me. And so this one is uh, called the principle of no. Sounds very negative at first, doesn't it? But I would say one of the most important things in my life is learning to say no. And again, I know that just sounds tremendously rude uh, too, and yet I would say it's an act of love. It's one of the evidences of love that God has cultivated in my life is learning how to say no. So I'd like to walk through that because it's a biblical principle that I think has, it it settles a lot of uh, unique tension uh, that is inerrant in the Christian life. And because I'd say one of the number one questions I get from people, you know, that'd be a hard thing to say. What is the number one question you get? I I don't know that I could answer that, but it's in the the top 10 uh, that I get regularly. And that is, Eric, I'm struggling with this idea that it says in scripture that when I pray, God will say yes, he'll answer. But then he doesn't. How am I I supposed to reason through that? Uh, And how am I supposed to navigate through this because a lot of people just say oh God's sovereign and that's like their answer for it God's just sovereign which I'm not going to say is a bad answer because he is but there is a way of navigating through it biblically that I think really helps us practically in life be able to deal with rather challenging issues okay so the principle of no I need to turn on my clicker sorry guys Eric, the yes man, that's, that's me. So I, if you could say it this way, when I first got into ministry, I felt obligated at some level 
to say yes to everything. If there was ever a speaking engagement, if there was ever something that someone needed, then of course my answer should be yes because I'm available. I'm just at everyone's disposal. And it was an interesting issue that began to be created. And I would say most commonly the issue of burnout in the Christian life is the inability to say no. And so as a result, we say yes to everything because it feels like it has a greater spiritual quality to it. When in actuality, when you are saying yes to something that is not in the center of what you are here on earth for, you're actually saying no to the thing that is center. Because you can't say yes and no simultaneously. In other words, if I'm saying yes to being here at Daily Thunder, I'm saying no to being somewhere else right now. So I just said no to something, to be here. And you could say, well, how rude is that? And you know how many people want to meet with me in the morning? It's just like when most people seem to be available, and my answer is almost exclusively, no, I can't do that. We'll have to find a different time. Because my mornings are very, very crucial for when I'm saying yes to other things. Because if I don't say yes to my relationship with God in the morning, if I don't say yes to certain prayer times that I have, whether it's by myself with God or whether it's with Leslie uh, with, with God, or whether it's preparation for this, or whether it's being here at this. You see, if I don't say yes to that, I'm actually saying no to things that God has already hallmarked as priority points. So the principle of no is very, very significant. So when I was the yes man, it actually created a tremendous hazard in my life. So at the age of 28, I'm in a very rough state. I'd been in ministry for, uh, what, what had it been? Well, full time uh, for about four to five uh, years. And my life was just under such pressure, such weight, and I could not handle all the things that were demanding uh, upon me, that were coming upon me. And so I was, I ended up, as some of you know, in the hospital with a stress disorder. Terrible description. I mean, you, you can think you come up with a better title for it than a stress disorder. I mean, something more noble, like a man that's working hard. You know, that's what you're struggling from. You're struggling from hard work. Instead, it was a stress disorder. Come on. And, you know, the difference between a stress disorder and a heart attack is one kills you and the other one just, you know, you linger along a little longer. Uh, but I, I had the, all the symptoms of it. I was saying yes to everything, and as a result, I was fraying at the edges. And this is what's interesting, is there is something in Scripture that I could call the doctrine of yes, and it is very clearly established, and that is that God says yes. And so here I am saying that I, Eric Ludi, say no, and, but then I'm going to start this whole message by saying God says yes. Sounds like, a, like I'm going the wrong direction here. God's going in the right direction, and I'm going in the wrong direction. The doctrine of yes, I'm not going to go through all the Scripture in it, but in one that is familiar to all of us, ask and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? You ask the Father, he will give you good things, okay? Guarantee. This is actually Jesus speaking. It is the word of God. There's so many layers to this of why we could trust what is being stated here. But long and short, Jesus makes it very clear. 
nine different times in the New Testament, Jesus speaking with his own mouth saying, you ask, my answer is yes. So that's not a small thing. To establish a solid doctrine, you need witness in scripture. And some people would say, well, if we were doing a court of law, it'd be two to three witnesses, right? So we have nine witnesses with zero contradictory statements on the matter. It's like, well, well, I mean, I I have to admit, in, in James it does say, Ask in faith, believing. Anyone who does not ask in faith shall not expect to receive anything that he asks, right? And so we do have statements to say, well, you're not going to get it if you don't ask in faith. But long and short, the statement is you ask, you get, right? It's the doctrine of yes. And yet when I bring up the doctrine of yes, it's weird how it creates a tension inside of us. Because I could call it the doctrine of no, but it would be an improper way of saying it. And that is there is a complementary truth in Scripture that is going to align itself next to this. And a lot of truths are that way. Whenever you end up with just a half of a truth, you can end up getting absurd and unusual in your Christianity. And there's a balancing element to this which is very, very important in our understanding of the Christian walk. So and just as a, uh, an additional way of saying it, Jesus clarifies the yes promise nine times. So this is a clearly established doctrine. God says yes. And the fact that I'm saying it right now confidently, God says yes, I'm gonna stand by. And you could say, well, wait a minute. I know, there there could be some clarifiers that come, but I'm gonna start with that as a premise. That's firm foundation, that's rock beneath our feet. This is a fact, God says yes. Then how can uh, Eric say no? Now that sounds like a funny statement, maybe I didn't phrase it as good as I could have, but in other words, so if God says yes, how could Eric Ludy be saying no? I mean, this is the principle of no, and if I were to tell you how much I say no in my life, it's just an amazing amount. I mean, I say no a lot. And to most speaking events now, it's like, no, I can't do that. No, can't make that meeting. No, I don't have time for that. I used to have a, a principle during semesters, uh, and whether or not it's needed anymore, and we could discuss it as a staff, but I used to have it uh, where I said no to all outside meetings. Anyone that wasn't in Ellerslie during a semester, my answer was no, I cannot meet. Because there was too much demand on my time and I wanted to make sure I was available for the people that were coming here from around the world to be trained. And so, no, 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 no. And at first it sounds really bad to say no, when in actuality it's a very godly thing. And then you could say, but I thought you said the godly thing was to say yes. See, see the tension there? When you say yes, you are saying no to something. So whenever you say yes, you actually are saying no to something. And I I went through this already, but you said yes to being here at Daily Thunder this morning, right? So that means you're saying no to something else. I mean, how rude are you? You're saying no to something right now. And that's all sorts of things. You could be running a 5K right now and getting into some great shape, and yet you said no to that. So you could say yes to something else. In other words, there's a no yes tension constantly in life and it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad to have said no. See, that's what we have a negative connotation of no. But what a good healthy no is, is actually a yes to something that is a priority point that God has established in your life. And when you say no, it is so that you can say yes to something. In other words, there are bad no's, and I need to acknowledge maybe the difference between no's. There are no's that are rude, there are no's that are capricious, okay? Like a, a rude no. Like say I wanna jab you, and you're like, uh, 
you know, I, I want to get back at you. And so you're like, hey, you know, would you, would you be willing to sit down and talk maybe at a coffee shop and maybe we could work this out? No. Okay, now that's a, that's a mean no. Okay, that's a rude no. That's a selfish no. It's a jab no. Okay, that's the type of no that oftentimes pops into our head when we think of no. We think mean no's. And then you could also have a capricious no. And parents are famous for capricious no's because, you know, little kids have a tendency to misbehave. And, and there's certain days where kids can get very frustrating. Okay, not my kids. My kids are, are extremely well-behaved, right, Harper? Uh, you, we're always, you guys are always very easy to say yes to. Uh, but the uh, kids, just in general, right, uh, they can be a little uh, squirmy at times, a little squirrely at times, a little irritating at times. And so if you've had a really rough day with some kids and then they come in and ask for something, it's possible that a capricious no will come out. And this isn't the type of no I'm talking about. This is a bad category of no. But where, you know, the child's like, uh, hey, could I have a, a drink of water? No. Uh, why not? Just because daddy is frustrated right now. Okay, now that's, that's the type of no that we oftentimes think of when we hear the word no. We think of sort of that rude, mean, capricious type of no. That's not what we're talking about. The principle of no is a loving no. It is a no in order to say yes to something better, something more important. So determine where to rightly spend your yeses in this life. Now, I'm not sure grammatically if yeses should have an apostrophe yes. I spelled it with W-E-S-S-E-S, -S -E -S, and I stared at it for a while, and I was like, yeses? Is that the way it would be? Or would it be yes? Because it's not possessive, right? It's not like yet, this is yeses territory. This is, but, so I don't know. What, what is it, Sandy? What, you don't know either? Well, that makes me feel a little better. Nathan, you, you don't know either? Boy, uh, okay, well, at least I feel a little better that uh, I didn't know what this was. So it's a, determine where to rightly spend your yeses in this life. So you have yeses to give, but you have a limited number of yeses. In every day, you have a certain allotment of yeses that you can give, and you need to spend them well. And so to spend them well, you have to often say, oftentimes say no to the things that would cause you to misspend your yeses. So if something over here is not supposed to receive your yes and you spend it on it, you just lost one of your yeses. And so as a result, now something you were supposed to say yes to, you have to say no to. Okay, so you have to learn how to spend your yeses properly. In other words, God is a yes God, but he spends his yeses well. He is excellent with his yeses. And so as a result, what may look like a no from God is actually God spending his yeses well. Okay, I'm just teaching a little theology here. I'm sneaking it in, and you'll get it as we go. Then protect, once you've figured out how you're supposed to spend your yeses, then protect those yeses with a some, obviously Sandy didn't uh, edit this, uh, with some lovingly declared no's. In other words, how do you protect your yeses? With no's. That's, what, that's how you protect them. In other words, if you really want to be a yes, uh, be like a God that gives yeses, okay? Because God does. He says yes. If you want to be like him, then you need to know how to give loving no's. Doesn't that sound like a contradiction at first? It's not. It just sounds like it. How could a God that promises to say yes say no? And yet, if he doesn't say no, then his yeses aren't worth a hill of beans. In other words, God gives good yeses. 
And for him to be able to give good yeses, he has to give loving noes. That's how he says yes. So here's just a few illustrations. I have loads of these throughout Scripture. They're really good. I mean, to go through and actually realize there are certain times when God actually clearly says no, and this is the same God. What's even being asked of him isn't like a bad thing. And yet, what you see is, I always use the term that God is frying bigger fish. Okay, when we ask for something that would take God away from his bigger yes, it's like God wants to say this big yes in our life, and then we ask him to spend his yes on something diddly squat. Okay, so this boat is filling up with water, the disciples are in it, they're panicking. It says in one translation or in one gospel account that their lives were in jeopardy. And these are fishermen. They're used to being on the water. So if they're panicky, it must have been pretty bad. Okay, so that's one assumption we we can have in here. And what's extra odd about the story is not just that fishermen are panicking that are used to being on the water, but that Jesus, in the midst of this panicky situation, is sleeping. Okay, there's a lot of odd stuff going on in this story. But if I could put words to the disciples in a form of a prayer, Jesus Would you please wake up and bail water for us? We're going to die if you don't wake up, stir from your sleepy position here, and help us get this water out of the boat. Okay, now, is that a bad prayer? I wouldn't say there's anything wrong with the prayer. It's just it's, it's a small fish prayer. In other words, God has yeses to give, but he's not going to waste his good yes on a little diddly squat thing like that when he's frying bigger fish. And so what is his answer? No. Now it's not rude. It's a loving no. Right? He does wake up and he stands up and you notice he never, never, never picks up a bucket and tries to get water out. He fries bigger fish. Peace be still. And he calms the very storm that is creating that drama. You see, God says yes in that situation but he's saying yes to something far greater than what they were asking. It's exceedingly, abundantly beyond all the disciples could ask or think. Did God say yes? He did. However, to do it, he had to say no. So what appears to be a no is actually a cloaked yes. You see, we oftentimes stumble over the cloak and we don't understand how all this works. Like, God, hey, what about me? You seem like you're sleeping right now. That's actually a pretty good description of the way many of us have felt at times in our life. God, hey, whoa, we're poking him. Hey, God, whoa, how could God sleep? We're looking at each other. What's the doctrine for God sleeping? I mean, how, how does this work? What is Jesus sleeping for in the middle of my trial? And I, I still have the hunch that he wasn't sleeping. I don't know about you guys, but that he was awake, you know, with the old eye thing, and then when they'd look over, he'd close it and make snoring sounds. Just a hunch. I don't know. I mean, of course, I can't prove that. It's just, it's just my hunch. So God says no in order to give a greater yes. Lazarus dying. This is a tricky one, and, but boy, we can feel it in our life. Jesus, come, first of all, Just as a background to the story, every single person that ever came to Jesus in the scriptures was healed, except for one. I'm not saying he wasn't. Lazarus, we know, was healed, but I want you to think this through. He's there. Jesus 
doesn't have a lot of good friends that are revealed in Scripture. Okay, we know he has the disciples, but then he has these friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That's just interesting. It's his friends. And so out of all these people that seem random and that he doesn't have much of a relationship with, anyone that comes to him is healed. But then his friends, the ones closest to him, come to him. I can just sort of see the moment. It's like, uh, Jesus, Lazarus, your, your good friend is, is sick. And, and I know Jesus feels. I, I, we know that because the shortest uh, verse in the Bible is all in this story, Jesus wept. In other words, there's a lot of emotion in this, but there's a restraint. They make a request, and if I could put it in prayer form, Jesus, could you heal Lazarus right now? He's about to die. And in a sense, if you could follow me on this, God says no. Now, no one, there's no precedent for a no in this situation. Jesus heals. It's a fact. And Jesus says yes when you ask. So what comes out of Jesus is this sickness will not end in death. He gives a promise. But he doesn't heal Lazarus as they would expect. And so you could just imagine with Jesus leaving town right at that point in time, and then Lazarus gets sicker and sicker and sicker, and suddenly he's dead. Now, Jesus left them with a promise, the sickness will not end in death, but it sure isn't looking like he came through. What's this look like, guys? This looks like a no. As far as we're concerned, this matches some of what we have walked through in our life where in the moment, as we stare at the situation, it would look as if God either forgot us, God went silent and fell asleep over here. What's going on? We got boats filling up with water. We got, we got things falling to pieces around us. And hey, God, where are you? Where, where is he when we need him? Uh, he's frying bigger fish. You see, what appears to be a no in this situation is a greater yes. God is doing something in all of these circumstances in our life, but it is exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we would know to ask or what we would know to think in the situation. And this is where faith comes in. God is a yes God. He's saying yes to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, but his way. You see, their request is so smallish, and they don't understand the fish that God is frying in this situation, which is so much bigger. Moses on the edge of the promised land. Now, Moses requests of God, and his request is very good. What does he want? He wants to enter the promised land. He wants himself, he wants to see it himself. I mean, do you blame him? 40 years this guy has been in the wilderness. He's taken the brunt of all of the weight of this murmuring, complaining bunch, this entire generation that had to die off, and he had to put up with all of that. I mean, do you think it's a bad request? I'd like, I'd like to go into the promised land. And for all practical purposes, God says no. The God that I have told you says yes, says no. And he brings him to Mount Pisgah, and he can overlook it. Which, you know, I'm not going to say that's a bad thing, to be able to overlook it. I mean, but we, we all know. He still feels like it's, it's falling short of the answer that he was 
looking for. And God, when you ask for bread, is not going to give you a stone. And yet, wouldn't you almost look at Moses' situation, he asked for bread, and okay, maybe it's not a stone, but it's like moldy bread. You know, it's not quite what you would expect for the God who goes exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. Okay, come on. Come on, God. Now, in the, in the grand picture, we can step back and realize that God is saying a bigger yes in so many ways. You see, Moses is symbolic of something in the whole of Scripture, and that is the law. And the law cannot take us into the land of promise. It's only the second, or Joshua, which is the same name as Jesus, Yeshua, that can take us across the Jordan into the land of promise. And so Moses, whether he understands it or not at the time, is a part of a fish frying story where God is frying a huge fish that reveals the gospel. And the whole new covenant is revealed in and through Moses being prohibited from being able to enter into the land of promise. And so you, you could say, well, you know, okay, I see that. That's pretty profound that that would actually reveal the kingdom of heaven. So God is saying no so that he can say yes to something far greater. But what about poor Moses? I mean, the poor guy. I mean, don't you feel for this guy? I remember having the thought, and I don't remember if it was Nathan that said this, but it's so profound to me. I mean, it's just one of the richest thoughts to chew on. And that is that on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus is glorified on this earth, in the land of promise, who's there? Well, we know it's Moses and Elijah, but I want to slow down and say, Moses is there in the land of promise, and he has the best seat in the house. In other words, he could have entered back then, but instead God says, I'm gonna say yes, but I'm gonna bring you in to see the whole purpose of this. Instead of you just seeing some land that will reveal the Christ, I wanna bring you in and show you, give you a front row seat to see the glorified Christ. All right. That's a bigger yes. That's exceedingly abundantly beyond all that Moses was asking or thinking. You follow me? God says yes. So what I want you to understand is you can trust the scriptures when it says that God says yes. He does say yes. And just because your current circumstances would be hollering no at you does not mean that God's answer is no. It might be no to what you just asked so that he can say yes to something greater. He has yeses to spend on you. But he's not going to spend his yeses on little diddly squat things when he's frying bigger fish. He wants to do something magnificent in your life. Will you let him? When he appears to be asleep, just know he's in complete control. And when you're asking him to bail water, and it seems like he's not interested in bailing water, it's because he's interested in doing something greater in your life. When Lazarus is ailing, failing, and now being wrapped in grave claws, just know God is frying bigger fish. God is doing something bigger than your current circumstances. So one of my favorite stories that has really gelled this for me, I think, because this is a, a wrestling match of epic proportions for us as Christians, just to be able to understand how God works. When we use the term sovereignty, how does it work? It's not random. God is very purposely aiming towards the highest and best for each of our lives. And we need to trust that, that he's a good God. And so here you have Corey Tenboom, Betsy Tenboom, her sister, Casper Tenboom, 
just an amazing picture. If any of you have ever read The Hiding Place or Tramp for the Lord, deeply moving stories. So they're in Holland at the time of the Nazi occupation, and the Jews are being persecuted, carted off to concentration camps. And so the Ten Boom family, who was not Jewish but loved Jewish people, begin to house and hide Jewish people in their home. And because of their love for the Jews, they end up being treated as the Jews, and they are carted off to prison. It's a Dutch prison that they're in. And soon after that, Casper Ten Boom dies in prison. Okay, his body, he's an older man. That's her father. And Betsy and her are still older, and they would have called themselves older spinster women. And they were both in prison, in a Dutch uh, prison. And it was rough conditions, but at least it wasn't Germany. And so Corey Ten Boom had one prayer throughout this entire time in the Dutch prison, and that was, Lord, not Germany. Lord, don't let them take us to Germany. Lord, I'm happy to suffer for you in Holland, but please don't let us go across those lines. It was like, even at the time, so demonically controlled. The way that, you know, the Christian would look at Nazi Germany was like, it was hell. And the way that they, they treated those that they were against was violent and virile. And so it's like, Lord, not Germany. Please, not Germany. So one day they were all put into a cattle car and uh, they're, being, they're having to stand up and they're it all, uh, people are fainting, but they're leaning on each other. And they, I mean, it was just a couple days, I think, of traveling like that, miserable conditions. And she sees the, uh, the line into Germany. She sees Germany, the sign that she, they're entering into Germany. All she can think about is her prayer. Lord, I asked one thing, not Germany, not Germany, Lord. And so as they cross in, you could just imagine probably a similar thing that you've maybe felt at different times in your life. It's like, wait a minute, I thought, God, that you said yes. I asked for bread. I feel like I'm getting a stone right now. And so her take on it has had a tremendous impact upon my life. Here's what she would say. She would say, what appeared at first to be a no. I realized that what God was doing was he was lovingly answering a greater burden in my soul. When I came to Jesus, I said, God, you can take me anywhere you want. You can do anything you want with my life. All I want is for you to get glory out of the life of Corey Tenbo. And God was saying yes to that prayer. And even though he was saying no to a smaller prayer, what he did was establish in Corey Tenboom's life, by her being in Germany, a worldwide platform to share the gospel. And he said, I'm saying yes to something greater, Corey. I'm saying yes to a prayer that undergirds your entire life because that's what she asked for. And for me, that has tied together so many critical things in my life to recognize that God does say yes. And even in that situation, he's saying yes to Corey. Corey, I want to use your life to bring glory to this world, to bring my message of, the, of hope of the gospel to the world. But I need you to be here. I need you to go through this so that you have this testimony with which to bear witness of me. the answer to the greater prayer. So at the very cornerstone of our life as Christians, God brings us to the place, the Spirit of God woos us to that place where we say, God, my life is yours. You can do with me whatever you see fit to do. And so therefore, 
as we say, God, my glory, or my life for your glory, please pour through me, that he's saying, I will answer that prayer. And I will go exceedingly abundantly beyond even what you understand and know right now. But there's gonna be moments and turns in that that look like we're going the wrong direction. It looks like it's stone when we asked for, a bre for bread, when in actuality, it's not just a slice of bread that he's given us. He's given us a whole bakery. In other words, he's going so far beyond what we could understand in the moment. But oftentimes there are turns that look strange to us. Our job is to trust that he is a God who says yes. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. God only says no in order that he might say yes to something bigger, better, and exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. He says yes. So in my life, you know, this, this principle, this truth, has affected me so deeply in even my practical life, even today. In other words, even how I reason. So you'll notice on the small level, I have learned in my life to say no to things that would take me away from frying bigger fish, the things that I know God has for me. We need to all know what we're supposed to be frying, if you will, with our time. I know that I have a walk with God that I need to cultivate. And no matter what is going on in my life, it is essential that I spend time there. And yet there are going to be things that are going to attempt to demand that time and even make me try and feel unspiritual by turning them down so that I, have, so that I maintain that time. But I have to say no so that I can maintain my yes on my time with God. My, my relationship with my wife. There are so many things, when you get married, like when you're single, you're thinking, oh, when I get married, I'm just gonna spend so much time. And yet, as you grow, your family grows, as your responsibilities grow, there are so many things that will attempt to take you away, and you could just look at each other and go, yeah, we, we're gonna have to get that next week. It's very easy to do, which is why you need to learn to say no to that which would threaten your yes on a priority point, like a spouse. Your kids, it's the same thing. I mean, there's so much noise in this world. There's so much demand. There's a lost and dying world that's sliding into hell. There's so much need. And yet, we have to protect the most core elements, which we call our kernel elements in our life, so that we are strong to help this world. If we lose our core, we're not doing anything to help this world. But when we learn to say no in this life appropriately, lovingly, so that we can maintain that which actually enables us to be strong to serve and to give. Hey, you just learned a life lesson right there. In other words, this is how God works. So, in a miniature way, this is how we work. We, when we say no, it's so that we can say a greater yes. God is frying bigger fish, and we need to oftentimes be frying bigger fish. We need to recognize this is the kingdom of heaven. This is how it works. And though God says yes, to be able to say that yes, he has to say no. So cherish that truth, the realities of who he is. He's a good, good God. Father, thank you for your wondrous ways. Thank you that your ways are perfect. Your ways 
though at times they seem to go through dark corridors, Lord, they always lead to light. And Lord, I just want to declare from my soul into the heavenly realms that I trust the living God. I trust your ways, which are beyond my ways. And I trust that you will always turn things for good. Whatever the enemy is meaning even to harm, that you turn them for good to those that love you and are called according to your purpose. And that whatever I ask, and if it's too small, Lord, you will go beyond it. Lord, that you're not afraid of our impossible praying. You still go further. Lord, what your plans are for us are so grand. What your purposes are in this world are so big. And Lord, our finite perspective is so limiting when we're asking you to bail water when you want to calm winds and waves. When we want you to heal Lazarus instead of raising a dead man to life after four days. Lord, may we be recalibrated around your ways. And may we learn how to wield the loving no so that we can give the kingdom yes. Lord, we love you and trust you and submit to you. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.